The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeartRadio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Hi, this is Newt. 2020 is going to be one of the most extraordinary election years of our lifetime. I want to invite you to join my inner circle as we discuss each twist and turn in the race in my members-only Inner Circle Club. You will receive special flash briefings, online events, and members-only audio reports from me and my team. Here's a special offer to my podcast listeners. If you join the Inner Circle today at NewtCenterCircle.com and sign up for a one- or two-year membership, I'll send you a free, personally autographed copy of my book, Gettysburg, and a VIP Fast Pass to my live events. Join my inner circle today at newtsinnercircle.com. Use the code FREEBOOK at checkout. Sign up today at newtsinnercircle.com. Code FREEBOOK. This offer ends January 31st. On this episode of Newt's World, he has been called this generation's finest writer of international intrigue, I'm one of the greatest American spy novelists ever. I'm pleased to welcome as my guest today, Daniel Silva, the number one New York Times bestselling author of 22 books. His latest novel, The New Girl, is filled with dark humor, breathtaking twists of plot, and an unforgettable cast of characters. The New Girl is both a thrilling, page-turning tale of entertainment and a sophisticated study of political alliances and great power rivalries in a dangerous world. And it is once again proof that Gabriel Alon is one of fiction's greatest spies. Daniel Silva is quite simply the best writer of foreign intrigue and suspense at work today. The New Girl just released this week and is available in bookstores now. 
can get so totally sucked in. I read your books the way some people would say would watch a movie because I can feel it. I can feel the characters. I can feel the relationships. And so I have to start with one book on World War II, and then suddenly you found Gabriel Alon. Can you describe a little of that early sequencing? The sequencing was that actually the, the World War II book was my first novel, and I wrote that manuscript while I was working at CNN. And you probably don't remember, but you and I used to bump into each other back in the old days after I published that novel in the winter of 96. You and I actually had a brief but wonderful conversation about it on the set of a CNN program I was producing at the time. And then I did write a couple of CIA-based thrillers that I followed up with that first book. One of them did deal with Northern Ireland and the Good Friday Accords that were taking place at that time. And then my fourth novel was the first Gabriel Lawn novel. I wrote it in 2000 against the backdrop of the Camp David negotiations under Clinton. And it was in that period where the CIA was sort of in this nether region, casting around for a mission and for adversaries. I didn't know that less than a year after that first book was published, 9-11 would happen. But in the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, I found some material that just really set me on fire. And I had worked in the Middle East as a correspondent and was sort of a amateur historian of the conflict. And I just loved that first book. Curiously enough, when I first started working on that book, Gabriel was a minor character in that novel. He took over that book and went on to become a continuing character, which he was not supposed to be. He was supposed to appear in one book and one book only. So it was just a gradual creative process that turned Gabriel into a major character and then a continuing character. You don't just invent a character. You have an assassin. And I, I always think of the whole effort after Munich to go out and, and to hunt down the Palestinians who killed the Israeli athletes at the Olympics. So you, you have somebody who is an avenger in a sense. But he's an art restorer. Now, how do you possibly put together? I mean, where in your own brain did you have this synaptic moment of going, oh, yeah, obviously he ought to be an art restorer? <laughs> it was a, uh, as he grew in importance in the early stages of the writing of that novel, I decided that I wanted to give him a cover job that really defined him and that perhaps his cover job might even be more important to his character than what he does for Israeli intelligence. I had created a little character, Jean-Paul Delaroche, a Russian assassin, who was a watercolorist in his spare time. And I think that looking back on it, it, it wasn't something that I consciously thought of at the time, but I think that that character that appeared in my second and third novels are probably sort of a charcoal sketch of Gabriel Lon. And as I was working on the book, I had dinner one night with a friend of mine who truly is one of the world's finest art restorers. I got the inspiration from him, just my friendship with him that, wait a minute, I think my character should do what you do. And I asked him to help me turn an Israeli assassin into an Italian art restorer, which was what Gabriel's cover was. He was a fluent Italian speaker. So I went about the process of how do you turn a kid from the Valley of Jezreel in Israel, and how do you turn him into an Italian art restorer? And that's the magic of the Gabriel Long character. He is two different people. 
You've gotten so far inside me that recently when Calista and I were visiting Venice, I kept thinking I should go and see the church in which he's been restoring things. I do it all the time. Avidi's <laughs> <laughs> left a lot of beautifully restored paintings behind in Venice, and some of his most important work has taken place right there where you are in Rome, as both an assassin and as readers of the series know, he formed a very close relationship with my fictitious Pope, Pope Paul VII, and his private secretary, Luigi Tanati. So Gabriel's had this intriguing relationship with the Vatican throughout his later career. And in fact, I'm exploring that in my next novel that's out next summer. I don't often speak about unwritten work, but I'm toying with a Vatican-based thriller right now for my next book. To some extent, your Paul VII has some parallels with Pope Francis. In my version of the Church, the Church that exists in the parallel universe of Gabriel Lawn, there was no Benedict and no Francis. So those two papacies have been depicted by Paul VII, sort of a traditionalist reformer who's been trying to keep things together over there. And a lot of momentous things have happened during his papacy, including an al-Qaeda terrorist attack on the Vatican that severely damaged the basilica. So it's been momentous in many different respects. Gabriel has been very close to that pope. You know, one of the things I was struck with, you wrote a novel in which your opening two or three chapters are on anti-Semitism in France. And it was so chilling. And I think the novel came out just a few months before the killings at the uh, nightclub. I told everybody I could find that they had to read that opening because you captured the current situation in France better than anything I've read. I've been fortunate enough to spend a lot of time in France and to spend a lot of time sort of inside the Jewish community. It's something that I've written about here and there throughout the Alain series. And I guess it's the crisis right now in terms of France and the Jewish community and the threat that that community is facing. It's just something that I had a sense of. I think I was a bit ahead of the curve on that. I don't know if you saw the survey that was published just a few days ago, and I think about half of Jews in Europe have considered emigrating. That is how bad the situation is. France is the epicenter Although Germany is doing its best to make life miserable for the Jews, the situation facing the Jews of Germany right now is pretty severe. And I have to say that when I wrote the beginning of The Black Widow and then the attack happened, I almost set that book aside because what I had written was so very, very close to the actual attacks of November 2015, including the link to Molenbeek in Brussels that I almost set that manuscript aside, and I decided to finish it as written. I would say to anybody who asks me how to best understand the decay that's underway in Europe, that the opening chapters of The Black Widow are as good as anything you're going to read. And while that may be part of a novel, it is a sadly long way from being fiction. Well, you live there on and off now, and... You are seeing and experiencing what I've seen in the last 20 years of frequent travel to Europe and extended periods spent there writing that through a combination of factors, European countries are really tearing themselves apart. In many respects, Europe is certainly an interesting place to write about right now. 
Next, the Russians replace Islamist terrorists as a threat in Silva's new novel, The New Girl. You've been listening to my conversations with Leo Grillo, founder of Delta Rescue. Delta Rescue is celebrating 40 years of saving animals and providing love to abandoned dogs and cats. Delta Rescue was the first no-kill shelter in the United States and now the largest care-for-life sanctuary of its kind in the world. The stories that Leo shared on my show, like Delta, a black Doberman that started this organization, all the way to the 35 dogs Leo found while hiking in the Angeles National Park, just warmed my heart. Delta Rescue continues to grow. The on-site hospital is staffed seven days a week with veterinarians and state-of-the-art equipment. Delta Rescue treats all diseases and conditions in up to 1,500 dogs, cats, and horses. Delta Rescue is an incredible cause, and we know we can't take our money with us when we leave, nor do we want to leave it to the IRS. Let's help our furry friends today and support this amazing cause. Go to deltarescue.org newt for information on donations and getting involved. And right now, there's some new entertaining content streaming on the site. Newt's World listeners can go to the site for two free family movies today. Magic, starring Christopher Lloyd and directed by Robert Davi, and The Rescuer, starring Leo Grillo. Enjoy these two heartwarming movies for us animal lovers. Go to deltarescue.org newt. That's deltarescue.org slash N-E-W-T. One of the things I've noticed, you went through a period where the clear dominant threat was, in one form or another, Islamist terrorists. Then, gradually, I noticed the emergence of the Russians. How did that transition occur in your own mind? Well, I write a book a year, so I'm always thinking about storylines and inspiration for the series. But in terms of when I began writing about the Russians as neo-villains was a book published several years ago called Moscow Rules. It was inspired by a month-long trip that I took to Russia to write and research I became convinced at that point that the Russia that was emerging under Vladimir Putin was not interested in being an ally of the West. It was an authoritarian state. It was a deeply corrupt story focused really heavily on Putin's treatment of journalists at the time. In a fictional way, but in a personal way as well, I came to the conclusion Russia was going to be a long-term adversarian problem for the West. That story created the circumstances by which Gabriel Lahn entered into a basically a long duel with Putin and the Russian regime. It was fascinating to me, and I could, I could sense that now the Russians were re-emerging after basically a 15-year interlude. And I was reminded when I was on a congressional delegation trip, I think it was in 93, Yeltsin was the president, and we met with the vice president who had been in Soviet Air Force general. And the room we met in had this 25 foot long and one side, one wall was a map of the old Soviet Union. And I said to him in passing, that's the old Soviet Union. And his response was, yes, and it will be like that again. 
And I just thought to myself, okay, this may be a temporary friendship. (laughs) (laughs) Vladimir Putin believes the same thing. And it might not be contiguous Russia that all the old republics, that he might redraw the borders once again and reclaim all that land. I don't think that's ever going to happen. But one by one, those old Soviet republics, they are tilting Moscow's way. And he's set about very methodically and ruthlessly to make that happen. And that has provided me with the inspiration and the setting for a lot of great stories. That doesn't mean that I don't take it seriously. I give myself a lot of leeway and fictional license when I'm writing my books. But count me among one of Putin's biggest critics. I think that he is a long-term threat to the interests of the United States. He does not want to be our ally. We are ramping up something that seems to me to be a new Cold War. There was news out of Europe this week about new missile systems and things like that, and I expect the situation to get much worse before it gets better. I kept telling people, this is a trained KGB agent who is used to torturing and killing people. What do you think he's going to be like? And his basic support group are former KGB people. Men of the security services really run Russia. It is a KGB state. That's exactly right. It'll be interesting to figure out what's the right language to describe what is essentially a corrupt KGB-dominated torture and killing system, which has now seized control of a giant country. By the way, I'm sure you saw the Pentagon defense assessment that the most worrisome trend right now is this blossoming alliance between Russia and China. And this is something that I toy with in the new novel. These are two incredibly powerful countries that they might join forces to dominate the Eurasian landmass. The Iranians, the ancient Persians are sort of already part of this. The possibilities for what this means for the West is pretty scary, actually. You see it in Venezuela, where there's a Russian-Chinese-Iranian coalition propping up the dictatorship. I've told people consistently now that when Xi Jinping said recently that he had met 30 times with Putin in the last three years. 30 times. Right. It's shocking. He's telling you something. I think our planning should assume that we are going to have to deal with, whether militarily or otherwise, a Russian-Chinese alliance. I don't see any way out of it. I don't know that we can get to a place where we are prepared to deal with a joint military threat from those two powers. That is a daunting prospect. It may be a necessary prospect. Well, this is what I write about in the new book. If you're a ruler in the Arab world right now and you see the United States growing weary of the region, anxious to put the region and its problems in our rearview mirror and turn to problems at home, The Russians are making tremendous strides in the Middle East right now. So are the Chinese. And our ally Israel is going to have an interesting future, that's for sure. Well, but of course, that may also be one of the examples for us to think about, because the Israeli ability to maneuver and to develop and to focus talent and resources has been unimaginable. We may have to meet the same standard. Next, 
we'll discuss the real-life people who inspired the fictional characters in Silva's new novel, The New Girl. I must say, you had me going in The New Girl because as I was reading it, I kept thinking, what is the next twist? And you managed to put together several dramatic jumps that I frankly would not have projected. But one of the characters that is the most fascinating is Shamron and the whole notion of this guy who is still around but who is in many ways the spiritual godfather of the entire intelligence agency in Israel. How did you develop him? Well, I took three legendary Israeli figures and very ruthlessly combined them into Ari Shamron. I took something from this one, something from this one. So that accounts for his professional provenance. Once he just started speaking, someone who escaped the Holocaust, came to Palestine as a child, fought to create a country, helped to build a country. I mean, goodness gracious, the lives that these men and women led are so extraordinary that when you describe what they did and what they accomplished in their time on Earth, it's just extraordinary. And Ari Shamron is by no means a perfect person, but he has seen things that no other human being has seen before. He represents the great sweep of history. And he just sort of has that voice of God quality when he speaks. And he is by far the most important character in the series. That's what struck me. I, I must say, I, I thought at least a little bit of, of Ariel Sharon, just in physical build and toughness. Ari is quite slender, actually. He comes across as a big guy, but he's quite small. He has large arms and hands. And that is why he was utilized in the kidnapping capture of Adolf Eichmann in Argentina. He's just a kind of a small, nothing-looking guy that has very powerful arms and hands. And I borrowed that trait from someone <laughs> and gave that to, to Ari Shamron as well. Like many people who work at Israeli intelligence, you would never suspect. That's just one of the things that he did. I always thought that... He was, in many ways, the central figure who holds the ethos together. Yes, he knows more than anyone else. He comes in at key junctures in the novel to impart necessary information and context and guidance. He is sort of one of those classic literary figures to move the story along, to inject certain passion into the story. One of the things you did with this particular book is you moved us into a relationship with an optimistic version of Saudi Arabia. And you must have felt a little conflicted. You know, I've been wanting to write a novel about the burgeoning Israeli-Saudi relationship, about a character like Mohammed bin Salman. I started working on this book last summer. I started writing it in August. By early October, I had a couple hundred pages of this story. And I see this news item that a 
contributing columnist for the Washington Post had gone missing. And within a couple of days, it was clear what had happened. And I had to take that entire manuscript that I had spent two and a half months writing and throw it out and start over for a deadline that was rapidly approaching. I did not look up from my desk for three and a half months and wrote the new girl in a mad dash, trying to catch lightning in the bottle, this amazing Shakespearean story that unfolded before our eyes in these last few months. It was not the book I wanted to write. I wanted to write about someone who was going to to change Saudi Arabia. Even though I was always rather dubious about MBS and the prospects for him actually being successful, I was intrigued by the character. How could you not be? And I am intrigued, too, by his enormous fall from grace and what it means for us. If you go back to the very beginning of the series, the world's actually grown substantially more dangerous over the last 15 years. There are more points of threat. You can imagine reaching out for your next novel in a remarkable number of directions and having somebody as an accurate, real threat to everything we believe in. If you look at the Elan series, it inhabits a parallel universe. It's slightly off from this one. I really sort of have chronicled this emerging global threat and chaos. I started writing Gabriel in 2000. It is now 2019, and the series has moved chronologically and roughly in sync with the calendar in this world. And as a result, I've kind of put together a history of the early years of the 21st century, the rise and fall of al-Qaeda, the emergence of ISIS, the emergence of Russia, emerging trends in the Middle East, all kinds of different things. And I would add to that the frame of the old Atlantic alliance of European societies. All this has been very accurately chronicled throughout the series. I'm intrigued just with how your mind works. You decide at one point that you need to take a detour to Corsica and introduce sort of a parallel to Gabriel. How did that happen? (laughs) Well, Christopher Keller appeared in the second Gabriel Alon novel. He was one of the favorite characters I ever created. And he sat there unused 10 years, went by between his first appearance and his second appearance. And his second appearance was so successful. Their partnership was so successful and so much fun to write that I just couldn't stop writing about the guy. And I think that just a little reminder to listeners, Christopher Keller was hired to kill Gabriel Alon in the first novel that he appeared in. And they are now the best of friends. And that's sort of a theme of the Alon series. Gabriel restores not just paintings, but people. And Christopher Keller is one of his restoration projects. When we first meet Christopher Keller in 2002, he is a professional hitman working for a Corsican crime family. And he's now an MI6 officer based in London. In the earlier books, you do a marvelous job of evoking a Corsica. Did you spend much time there? Not a ton of time. People always ask me, how do you do it? And it's just the novelist's trick. And the important thing to remember is take in what you need to take in, throw away what you don't need, 
keep what you want to use and create your own world. One of the other things you do, you link history together. I mean, one of the things that was fascinating was that the new girl wasn't the new girl I expected when I began the new girl. You have managed to remind us in a very elegant way about the history of the British having people who actually are spying for the other team. I'm pretty sure that MI6 is more secure than I have portrayed it in the last couple of books. You've created this whole family that moves through the books, and it's easy to fall in love with them and really look forward to each one of them and being reacquainted each year with them. Well, I think that family of characters approach that I adopted for the series. These are works of commercial fiction and the interior lives of a number of different characters play a critical role in the series. And that when you pick up an Elan book, you spend only a little bit of time with the villains. You spend most of the time with the good guys. And I think that's been critical to the success of the series. Could you talk just a little bit about the mechanics of how Daniel Silva produces a novel? Once I start working on a novel, I write seven days a week. I find days off. Sometimes a day off is necessary for an emergency or a travel day or something. I find it very, very disruptive to take even a single day off. I tend to start my day in longhand, and at a certain point I will take several pages of handwritten material over to the computer and start writing that way, but I do love writing in longhand still. My calendar is such that I will do some work in the summer months before and after my book tour, but Labor Day is really my real starting gun. I have to hand in a book on April 1st, not as much time as I would prefer. I've been able to manage on this schedule for many years. I publish basically the same day, the second Tuesday of July every year. And so I have to be honest, I don't do much else other than write and research and read. I get a little antsy if I don't have a book in my briefcase or a book in my hand. So I live a rather quiet writerly life, the best way to describe it is that I'm either writing a book or reading one, generally. That's how I spend my day. Here in Washington, just to have a wonderful circle of friends that have something of a salon in our place and really think deeply about the issues that I write about and talk about it with people who are actually involved in it. One of the things that I did with this book is I was obviously focused on Saudi Arabia intensely this year. What does this mean for us? What is the MBS's fall from grace? And what are the right policy decisions for the United States? How best should we respond to this? And all that came out in The New Girl. This has really been fun. I think we could do a couple more hours, you and I. <laughs> Thank you so much, dude. Thank you to my guest, Daniel Silva. You can read an excerpt of The New Girl and find out more about Silva's current book tour on our show page at newtsworld.com. Newt's World is produced by Westwood One. Our executive producer is Debbie Myers, and our producer is Garnsey Sloan. Our editor is Robert Borowski, and our researcher is Rachel Peterson. Our guest booker is Grace Davis. The artwork for the show was created by Steve Penley. The music was composed by Joey Salvia. Special thanks to the team of Gingrich 360 and Westwood One's John Wardock and Robert Mathers. Please email me with your comments at newt at newtsworld.com. 
If you've been enjoying Newt's World, I hope you'll go to Apple Podcasts and both rate us with five stars and give us a review so others can learn what it's all about. On the next episode of Newt's World, Abraham Lincoln led the nation through the Civil War, preserved the Union, and abolished slavery. As the 16th President of the United States, he served from 1861 until his assassination in April 1865. We'll explore more of Lincoln's life in the next The Immortals series. I'm Newt Gingrich. This is Newt's World. The Westwood One Podcast Network. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed... Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah! Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes. Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network work.